Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. If you're looking for more purpose, more passion, more joy in your life, then you have come to the right place. I am your host, coach and life alchemist, Sharin Eskandani, and I have worked with thousands of people showing them how to create their dream lives while also living their dream lives. This podcast is where mindset, mindfulness, and manifestation meet. Together, we're going to release limiting beliefs, put your dreams into motion, all while prioritizing your ease, rest, and joy. Let's do this, love. Hi, love. Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. This is where we take a deeper dive into my Mindset Monday post, which you can read on Instagram at Wholehearted Coaching. Or if you want to go even deeper into this week's episode and get my free weekly journal prompts, sign up for my email list and you'll be able to explore the topics we're talking about in this episode even further. You can do that in the show notes or by heading to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com. And if you're interested in working with me, whether that's one-on-one in one of my group programs or one of my transformational courses, you can head to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings to find out more. And of course, you can also head to the show notes and all of this information will be waiting for you there. All right, love, welcome to this week's episode. So love, we are at the end of our Courageous Conversation series. And in this episode, it's just going to be me. I'm going to be telling you about my journey with courage and my life journey towards where I am now, where I get to live my dream and what I've learned along the way, the mistakes I made, the failures, the fear, all of the things. It's time for me to be really open and honest and vulnerable about my journey. I had such an amazing time putting this series together. I'm telling you, interviewing these amazing women was such a privilege and honor and a joy. I learned so much from them, and I really hope that you feel the same way too. And so in this episode, I'm going to be talking about my story, and I will get open and honest and vulnerable and really share with you what it has been like. Before I do that, though, a couple reminders. This is the final episode of the podcast for the summer. So I'm going to be taking some time off to rest and reset and just refresh. So I am so sorry to be leaving you, but there are tons of episodes to catch up on. And I want to let you know that I will be back in the fall and that if you are interested in working with me, I really, really recommend going to my offerings page and checking those offerings out. I will be opening up the Alchemy Collective sometime in the fall. So if you get on the wait list for the collective, you get first access and you also get a really nice discount. And I'm also going to be offering my small group coaching program, Wholehearted Woman, in the fall as well. Wholehearted Woman is the only way to work one-on-one with me. In that program, we have one-on-one time together. There is group coaching. There is an in-person retreat. It is my most transformative and high-touch offering. And if you get on the wait list, you will be the first to find out. And there's only 10 spots. So I actually have not opened Wholehearted Woman to the general public in a while. 
I just contact people on the wait list. So if you are looking to work with me, if you're looking to make a big shift, transformation, a huge pivot in your life, then I really, really recommend getting on the wait list for wholehearted woman. And I'm not saying this to, you know, get people to sign up, but this may be the last cohort of wholehearted woman. I may not be offering this program again. Now, this isn't to alarm anyone <laughs> at all, but over the summer, I'm making some big decisions about the future of wholehearted coaching. And it may not include wholehearted woman, my small group coaching program again. Okay. So if you're just even in the slightest bit interested, head over to wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings. And you can see all my offerings there at the very top. There's wholehearted woman. You can click the link, find out more. You can also find out more about the Alchemy Collective. Okay. So that's kind of all the housekeeping I have to do before we all go have our version of our hot person summer. And um, I just really want to thank you for being part of this community. It's actually hard for me to take a break from this podcast because I love connecting with you so, so much. I love this community. I love doing this work. So trust me, this is tough on me too, but it's for the best. You know, arrested Sharin is the best Sharin. Okay. So we are now going to get into my courageous conversation and I'll be kind of talking in the same way in which I conducted the interviews over the past few weeks, which is starting kind of from when I was a young girl and arriving where I'm at now. So I want to start off with telling you a little bit about little Sharin. I was born in Iran, Tehran, Iran during the Iran-Iraq war. Iran at the time had gone through a lot of upheaval. We had a revolution a few years previous to the war and then this intense war. And my family decided to immigrate to Canada. And while this immigration, while moving, was, was really great because it afforded me and my sister more opportunities in life, it was really difficult. We were surrounded by all of our family and friends in Iran. I grew up very much loved and very much taken care of. And then all of a sudden we moved to Canada where we literally had one set of family friends and we moved there with, you know, just a couple suitcases of things and we left behind everyone we knew and everything we knew. So needless to say, this was a really difficult move. And we also moved to a city that was predominantly white. And we were, you know, one of the very few brown families that kind of lived in our neighborhood. So all of these things combined, the trauma of moving, the trauma of war, the trauma of a revolution, and now coming to this new place that was so foreign and different for us. And I think everyone in my family just figured out a way to cope with it all. And, you know, my parents obviously had PTSD it was something that was not talked about then. But, you know, they were going through their own stuff and they couldn't really be there for uh, me and my sister as much as I know they would have wanted to because they were going through their own stuff. And so for me, I think a coping mechanism that I adopted early on was to kind of be the easy one the one that didn't have a lot of problems or issues, really leaning into people-pleasing, making people laugh, making people like me by being funny and charming. And so I kind of really created this persona of being the best 
being funny, being easygoing. And this obviously got me really, really far. I got lots of friends. I went to, you know, elementary school and high school. And I was on, you know, oh God, all of the committees and I was student council president, all of the things. But I also deep down really felt like I didn't belong. And that if I didn't do all of these things, if I wasn't perfect, if I wasn't the best, if I wasn't a people pleaser, that I would be found out. No one would want to be friends with me. I would have no one and I would have nothing. And so obviously that's a lot of pressure for a kid, but it was a coping mechanism that worked. It really did work. Also at this time, something that I found that became a beacon, a light for me was music, singing. So I came from a very musical family. My grandmother is a famous singer in Iran. I have lots of musicians on my mom's side of the family. And when I moved to Canada, I joined choir at school. And one of the teachers very early on realized that I had this gift, this gift of singing. And she really encouraged me to sing. And she encouraged me to join this choir in Vancouver that was kind of a professional children's choir. And finding singing for me was like finding myself finding my joy, finding my like true essence. Singing for me was where I felt the most free, the most myself. I loved singing. And so I really threw myself into my passion. And I was very fortunate that in my family, right, everyone was very supportive of this dream, which is not always the case I know with many families, especially when it comes to an artistic pursuit. There can be a lot of resistance there. But my family, because of our history, was really on board with me you know, spending all this time singing and spending all this time on my music. And, you know, combining this gift that I had and the support that I had with my perfectionist tendencies, with my hardworking tendencies, combining all of those things together, I became a really great singer. And so I decided to pursue singing. I decided this is going to be my job. And I thought very early on, you know, like, wow, I'm so lucky. Here are all these people struggling to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And I'm like 15. And I already know. I already knew I was going to be an opera singer. And I was going to be an opera singer. And I was going to sing at the Metropolitan Opera. Your girl had big ass dreams. And so I got accepted into an undergraduate program in Vancouver, where I lived. And it was a great music program. And it was kind of a big fish in a little pond there. Um, I had this great gift, my voice, and combining that with, you know, this hardworking nature, my perfectionism, my people pleasing. And I got really, really far at that school. I got lots of roles and awards and accolades, and I was one of the best at that school. And so being one of the best at that school, I decided, okay, I'm going to apply to the best music schools. And so I applied to Juilliard and the Manhattan School of Music and a bunch of other really great music schools. And I got accepted into the Manhattan School of Music. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like I'm moving to New York and I'm going to be singing at the Met in no time. All I got to do is just keep doing more of the same. Just Keep being the best. Keep practicing. Keep doing what you're doing. And y'all, I got to New York and I got to my school and I realized I wasn't shit. Okay. Everyone at my school was the best. Everyone was amazing at what they did. Everyone was a hard worker. And so this whole identity that I had built around being the best started to crumble around me. And instead of maybe looking inward and being like, okay, well, maybe we need to heal some stuff. You know, heal some stuff inwardly because 
you know, no one can be the best always. And like, what is the best? No, 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 no. I didn't have that kind of access to that wisdom or insight then. Instead, I just doubled down on what I was doing before. So I doubled down on the overachieving. I doubled down on the perfectionism, on the people pleasing. I doubled down on doing, proving all of the things. And that actually got me really, really far. You know, I was unlucky or lucky that I chose coping mechanisms that were really rewarded by society. I chose coping mechanisms that, you know, fell in line with this capitalistic, colonialist culture we live in of doing and proving and striving. And so sometimes it's really hard for those of us who have those coping mechanisms to see them as coping mechanisms and not as like a gift or this innate ability or who we are. And that was me for a really, really long time. I was really proud of my perfectionism. I was really proud that I was an overachiever, right? That I would do 110%. You know, these things got me really, really far in my career. So I started to work full time as a singer pretty much as I graduated, which was, you know, not the case for many of my colleagues. And I was working in Europe and Italy and France and Carnegie Hall all over the U.S. And from the outside looking in, I was living my dream, right? Like if you were to see me on Facebook at the time, because, you know, Facebook was the thing then. We didn't have Instagram yet. You'd be like, oh, my God, Shirin is living her dream. Look at her. She's doing the damn thing. And yes, it looked like a dream from the outside, but it felt like an absolute nightmare. I hated my life. I was so miserable. I was so exhausted. And it, it wasn't the singing that was making me miserable and exhausted. It was how I was doing it. Of course, I didn't know that at the time, but I was just constantly trying to be the best. I was constantly comparing myself. I was constantly fixated on what I wasn't doing well as opposed to what I was doing well. I was focused on the jobs everyone else was getting as opposed to the jobs that I was getting. I was making myself miserable. And I got to the point where I started to really resent singing, really hating singing. This one thing that used to be my one joy. This place where I used to feel the most myself now was the space and the place in which I felt the most insecurity and worry and misery. My dream had become a total nightmare. And I really started to question, like, is this what you want to do? Like, I, I don't think you should be singing anymore. This is not healthy for you. This is not okay. And of course, it was in that moment that I got the call that I'd been waiting for forever. My agent called me up and said, Sharin, the Metropolitan Opera wants you to sing in Carmen next season. Now, this was my literal dream come true. This was my dream opera, Carmen, my dream role, Mercedes, in my dream opera house, the goddamn Metropolitan Opera. This was the dream, y'all. And when I was a young girl, I would imagine this moment so many times. And I would imagine myself feeling all this joy and happiness and just jumping for excitement. And when I was a young woman who had moved to New York, I would say to myself, if you ever get this job, if you ever sing at the Met, you will know that you are good enough. You will know that you made it. And I remember hanging up the phone and realizing that I did not feel any of those feelings. All I felt was insecurity, fear, doubt. And all I could think was, you are not good enough. And this is not enough to prove to you that you are good enough that you are worthy, that you are deserving, that you are successful. 
And in that moment, I woke up and I realized I'd become so fixated on my dream, on what I wanted to do, that I'd forgotten all about the how. My how left no space for joy or ease or kindness. My how was all about proving, doing, and striving. And I also learned that what makes us happy and fulfilled isn't what's happening on the outside. I thought my joy and my happiness and my success were just one achievement away, singing at the Met. And I got that and I realized I didn't feel any of those feelings. I realized in that moment something that I now preach and teach and practice, that our happiness and joy and success are not contingent on what is happening outside of us. It's all about what's going on inside of us. And so in that moment, I realized I need to get my shit together. And when I say shit, I meant my spiritual, emotional, and mental health. I needed to get that together. So I had a year and a half to prepare for this role. And of course, I worked on my craft. I worked on my singing. But I really worked on my mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And I got into mindfulness then and mindset work. And I started working with a coach. And working with that coach shifted everything for me. I say to this day that my greatest accomplishment in life isn't singing at the Met, but it's singing at the Met and enjoying every part of the process. I had done so much inner work in that year and a half that I could find my joy even in the hardest moments. I could find my resilience. I could find my strength. I could find my groundedness even when everything was going wrong around me. You know, one of my greatest achievements is that I was able to take a bow on that stage every night and feel like I deserved to be there, that I was worthy of being there. I could take a bow and look out into that audience and just take it all in. In the past, I would have taken a bow and been fixated on some mistake I made or something that went wrong, but I had created such an inner resilience for myself, so much inner peace and groundedness that I could stand on that stage and say, yeah, that was me. I was amazing. And uh, I deserve to take this goddamn bow. My journey to singing at the Met and my experience singing there shifted so much for me. I had some really big ahas and insights from that experience. First, I found my love for singing again. I found that same joy that I had when I was a young girl. Two, I found the ability to exist in the world, not basing my worth and my value on how perfect I was or how good I was. I learned how to exist in the world as myself, making decisions for myself, prioritizing my ease and my joy, navigating the difficult moments with grace and with a really healthy mindset. And finally, and the biggest aha was that I found out I realized that I no longer wanted to be an opera singer, which sounds completely antithetical, right? Yes, I found my love for singing. And I also realized in finding my love for singing that I no longer wanted to pursue the career that I was pursuing. And I was only able to come to that realization when I found my love for singing again. When I was able to do that, I could see my career with really clear eyes. Now, before I went to the Met, you know, I shared this, that I had been kind of playing around with the idea of quitting my career. But before I kind of did all of this self-work, I was quitting, I was stopping from a place of anger, from a place of insecurity and doubt. And looking back, I realized had I made that decision then, I would have always regretted stopping singing, right? I would have always thought, what if? I would have always kind of had this regret in the pit of my stomach that 
you know, I didn't try hard enough, that I wasn't good enough. But finding my love again for singing allowed me to really realize that even though I loved to sing, I didn't love being an opera singer and everything that that entailed. Like I could see my career and the ways that it did not serve me and the ways that it did not serve the life that I was trying to create for myself from that point. And so that was a really scary realization. I'm not going to lie. And the timeline overlapped a little bit. So in that year and a half that I was preparing, in that first six months, I started working with a coach and I was doing opera gigs. And in that process of working with that coach, I really realized how much I loved coaching. And I started to think, wait a second, is this what I want to do with my life? I had been, you know, considering maybe going back to school, maybe going and doing a degree in psychology or social work because I knew I wanted to work with people and be in service of people bettering their lives, changing their lives. And when I started to work with my coach, I was like, holy crap, I love this. I love this modality. I love all of the possibilities of being a coach. And so I started to look into coaching certification programs and I found one that I really loved and I signed up for it. And I told my family about it. I told some really close friends, people that I knew would be really supportive, but I did not tell anyone in my profession because it's really taboo. Uh, And I know that this is true for a lot of other professions. It's really taboo. It's changing in the arts world, especially in the singing world, professional singing, opera singing, for you to be doing anything that isn't singing, right? That that is a sign of you failing, that that's a sign that you're not good enough. And so I wasn't ready to tell the people in that world that I was thinking of pivoting. And what's kind of amazing is that while I was doing my rehearsals at the Met, I was also training to become a certified coach. Like it was all happening at the same time. And it was this beautiful overlap for me. And everyone in my coaching certification knew about my other job, my singing job. And actually so many of the coaches that I was training with came to see me at the Met. They were so supportive. They were so excited. But of course, I was not saying anything to my colleagues and friends who were singers because I was so afraid of the judgment that I would receive. And I always say that, you know, when you first have a dream, it's kind of like you're on Bambi legs, like you're a little doe still trying to get up. And it's all about surrounding yourself with the people who are going to support you, who are going to help you walk on your own. And so I finished singing at the Met. I then graduated from my certification program a couple months after that. And this is where things got really real, right? Like in the past, before I had graduated from my certification program, being a coach was kind of this idea. And now I had graduated at all these skills and it was like, okay, what are you going to do with this? Are you actually going to pursue this? And I knew I wanted to, but I also had no idea what the heck I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing as a coach yet, right? Like I, I had the certification, but you know, I was still just a new coach, a baby coach. And I also had no idea how to run a business. I mean, this is something that like I think was the biggest learning curve. I felt pretty confident about my coaching skills, but I didn't realize I had to start a business like duh, but also like, huh? So that was a really big learning curve for me. And even though I knew I wanted to transition out of singing, it was still tough. 
You know, I knew I was done with that chapter of my life, but my identity had been so wrapped up in being a singer and I loved it. I really, truly did. But I also knew it wasn't for me anymore. So just like with any relationship that ends, any chapter that ends, there was a lot of grief. There was a lot of processing. And I was coaching and singing for the first three years of having my business. I was doing both. And in the month of May, I just celebrated five years of wholehearted coaching, right? So the first three years of this beautiful business that I've created was me doing both. And at the beginning, it was like 60% singing, 40% coaching. And then it slowly shifted to about, you know, 55, 45. And then, you know, it got less and less and less. I really wanted to take my time creating this business. And I didn't want to kind of throw myself out there. But when I knew it was time, when it still felt a little bit scary, but I also felt secure enough, I knew it was time to kind of let go of my other career. And for me, wholehearted coaching, the way I created it, it was just taking the next step that always felt right. I say this so much on the podcast, right? When you have a big dream, one of the biggest blocks to going towards that dream is how. How the hell am I going to build a coaching business? I'm a goddamn opera singer. You don't know anything about business. You don't know anything about marketing. You don't know about anything. Like, how the heck are you going to do this? And, you know, I really practiced what I preached. And I do that to this day. Everything I talk about on this podcast is there things that are my own lessons, the things that I need to hear, the things that I practice. And so it was all about just taking the next step that felt good, trusting myself, making mistakes and learning from them, doing scary things and seeing what happened on the other side. So when I first started wholehearted coaching, I was just working one-on-one with clients. And I can't even tell you how much I was charging and how many people I was working with, but it was not much, okay? there. <laughs> I'll just put this out there. It was not much. And I remember a lot of people at that time were like, you got to figure out your niche as a coach. And I couldn't really figure out what my niche was. And honestly, I'm so glad I didn't say what my niche was at the very top because I learned so much by coaching. I learned what kind of things I like to talk about, who I like to work with, what things made me really come alive. And in the first year of my coaching, it was really just me understanding a lot about who I was as a coach. And I could have never understood that if I came out of the gates just saying, this is who I am. I learned on the job and I had some incredible clients who allowed me to really evolve into the coach that I am today. And I think I launched Wholehearted Woman my group coaching program about a year or a year and a half into having the business. And again, that was like, I did not charge a lot. I remember like having to just really like honestly be like, please just join the group. Like you're really going to like it. I promise you're going to like it. Like, and I just was building the plane as I flew it. And I still do that to this day, but like really in those first days and it was terrifying, but that taught me so much about trusting myself and knowing that I knew what I was doing. And I did a lot of things for free. Oh my gosh, I did so much for free. So one of the very first things that I did that literally changed the trajectory of wholehearted coaching was that a girlfriend of mine who's a jewelry designer 
she and I started a workshop together. It was called Wear Your Mantra. And I would do a workshop with people where they would come up with a one word mantra and she would create a piece of jewelry for them with that word on it. And she was a really great marketer. She had connections. And, you know, I had this really great workshop that I created for us. And we went around New York City with this workshop. It was completely free. I wasn't getting paid, but I cannot tell you I made so many amazing connections through those workshops, whether it was people who ended up working with me, being on the Today Show was because of that workshop. I learned so much from that. So just putting myself out there, scaring myself, trusting myself shifted so much for me and also connecting with the people in my life and seeing what we could do together. Y'all, wholehearted coaching has been this beautiful journey. I now am a full-time coach. I sometimes can't even believe it. Like as I'm saying it, I'm getting emotional because I always dreamed of this. And here I am now on this podcast talking with you and I get to share with you the things that have changed my life, the things that I now get to teach to others. And those, those thoughts and those ideas have shifted and transformed their lives. You know, I've gotten the point at Wholehearted Coaching where I get emails from people who've worked with me like four years ago, three years ago, and they have these amazing, incredible dream lives. And that is what I always dreamed about. And it's just really amazing sitting here <laughs> recording this episode in my closet, having that realization. And y'all, I did not know that I was going to be taking this path to get here. Like it was a gobbledygook of a path, okay? And um, I didn't get into all the steps or the things, but I just want to let you know that there was so much fear. There is so much fear. There is so much doubt. There is so much insecurity at points. There's moments where I look at other people doing other things and I think, am I doing the right thing? Is, is this right? Should I be doing that? And as I sit here, I can really tell you that I am so incredibly content and at peace with the life that I have, right? And I mean that in the most beautiful way. I really, truly love the life that I get to live. And the life that I get to live is because of a lot of the big decisions I made. And I still make really, really big decisions. But, you know, that shift from changing careers, I could have just kept on singing. It would have been, quote unquote, easier, but it would have led to a much more difficult life. I have this podcast episode about whether you are creating ease in your life or just avoiding. And the metaphor I use in that podcast episode is about salmon. Yes, I know, salmon. So when salmon are swimming upstream, they know that if they are swimming through a path where there's no resistance, that up ahead, they're going to face a big rock or a tree trunk that's fallen in the water, right? That because there is no resistance in that water, it means that something, they're avoiding something, right? And they're going to have to face it. And when they get to that rock or that tree, they're done, right? They can't do anything. And they realize that there has to be a little bit of resistance, a little bit of difficulty. And, you know, I guess I'm just saying, we got to be like the salmon. <laughs> I wish it was a more like elegant animal, but like salmons are amazing, y'all. Salmons are just incredible. So when I look back on that time in my life, had I not made some really big, hard decisions and navigated some really challenging moments, I wouldn't be where I am today, right? I 
could have just kept on that path. And I'm so glad I didn't because it wasn't the path for me anymore. Even though I had worked so hard for that career, I really realized that it was no longer the path, the career, the journey for me. And now getting to do this work with you all is just the most fulfilling thing ever. And will I be doing this forever? I don't know. I, I just don't know. But right now, it feels so incredibly good. So that's kind of my story of how I got here. I know I left a lot out, but I hope that you took away something that is going to be useful and helpful. If anything, just the fact that I am just as scared and insecure as you are. And I still have those moments today. Like I still, when I launch something new or I'm about to try something different, I still get worried. But I've just done those things so much more and more over the years that I've realized that I can always trust myself to figure things out. And more often than not, things work out the way that they're supposed to. And that those hard decisions and difficult moments lead to some of the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things in my life. So love, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break now. That's something that I've really learned being an entrepreneur, having my own business. I did not take breaks for a very long time. And I've realized that if I want this beautiful business, what I've created to survive and to really serve me and serve my joy, that I also need to rest and have moments of ease. So that's what I'll be doing. And I have some really exciting things to share with you in the fall and in the new year that I'll also be working on over the summertime. I can't wait to tell you about those because they're the things that are kind of making me feel a little bit afraid right now. And I know whenever I feel afraid that I'm unlocking something really amazing. So in the meantime, listen to the podcast, listen to episodes that you haven't listened to, listen to episodes that you have listened to, because I know you're going to hear something different the second or third time round. And also remember, in the fall, I'm going to be opening the Alchemy Collective again and Wholehearted Woman again. So get on those wait lists if you want to join. And also, I may not be opening Wholehearted Woman again. Remember, I'm not saying that to scare you. This is not some scare tactic marketing. I'm just maybe shifting things in Wholehearted Coaching a little bit. So this may be the last round of Wholehearted Woman or the penultimate round. So if you've ever wanted to work with me one-on-one, that's the best way to do that. So if you go to wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings, you'll find the links to the Alchemy Collective, to Wholehearted Woman, and to all my other offerings that I have. Also, if possible, please leave a review of the podcast, if you can, on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on. Leave a review, leave a rating. The more reviews, the more ratings, the more people will find out about this podcast. And that's it for now, love. So as always, let's take a moment as we finish up. And I want you to think of one thing that is really resonating with you from today's podcast episode. And we're gonna take a deep breath in and hold it at the top, thinking about that thing that's resonating with you and then breathe out. Okay, so let's breathe on in. Pause, reflecting on that insight, that aha. And breathing out. (sighs) Love, I am so grateful 
that you are in this community, that I get to be in community with you. Thank you for being here. You do not know how much I appreciate and I'm grateful for you. I will see you in the fall and I cannot wait to connect with you again. Until the fall, love. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe or follow where you love listening most. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser, or Podcast Addict. Until next week, love.